Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. One of the most dominant teams in the third pro football league called the American Football League were the Dallas Texans, who changed into Kansas City Chiefs franchise later on. Our Pro Football Dynasty Series search continues as we ask the question, should the 1960s Kansas City Chiefs be considered a pro football dynasty? We'll find out more about that and the answer in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to our next edition of trying to find teams that can be considered to be a professional football dynasty. Now, when we started out this mission, we told you that we wanted to find out who was a dynasty and who is not. So we tried to come up with the very definition of pro football dynasty, and we pulled the experts and historians and asked a series of questions and came up with some data points to find and make the criteria to be considered what a pro football dynasty is. The responses were tabulated and averaged, and the components that need to be met are, we'll remind you again, the winning and a contending team for at least six consecutive seasons in their respective leagues. The franchise must have also had claimed three championships or the equivalence of a league title in that time, a league percentage winning of 660 or better over that span of years, and no other dynasty could reign during this span in that same league. Not much room at the top there. And we also have a dominance level score of 620 or better. Remember, dominance level is a championship wins plus championship losses times 0.5, and they get a quarter point for playoff appearances where they lost, divided by the total amount of years. Six is the average point differential per game of seven points or more. That means you got to have at least a touchdown and point after attempt more than your opponents on average for the total amount of games played during that span that we're considering that dynasty run. And lastly, they must be ranked in the top 20% of the league that they played in over that span. Now we may also consider some other conditions or circumstances that might make a difference in determination, such as the core group consistency, winning streaks, uh, and other things like that, maybe losing a bunch of championships in a row. That all could factor in to maybe cancel out some that didn't make the, the first seven. Now, we'll take a look at these seven pillars of the dynasty above, and we'll put those stats and numbers of this week's team, the 1960s American Football League Dallas Texans slash Kansas City Chiefs, to determine if that era of the franchise is worthy of the moniker. All right, you've heard us say 
Dallas Texans slash Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Dallas Texans in no way should be connected or confused with the Houston Texans of the National Football League we know today. The, the, the Texans of Houston are a totally different franchise, totally different team, no connection at all. The Dallas Texans were one of the charter members of the American Football League in 1960. The team was founded by Lamar Hunt, who also founded the AFL after being sort of shunned and turned down by the National Football League to get a franchise in that league. The Texans played their home games at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas. And in 1963, after some debate and some argument and some territorial fights, which we've talked about in some other episodes with some, some authors, because of the Dallas Cowboys starting up, Hunt decided to move the Texans to Kansas City, Missouri, where they could own the entire town by themselves. Not have to share it with the Dallas Cowboys of the NFL. The team was renamed the Chiefs, and they continued to enjoy success in Kansas City. Because we didn't tell you that the Texans Chiefs franchise was one of the most successful teams in the early years of the AFL, which started in 1960. They won the AFL championship in 1962, the Dallas Texans did. And in 1966, that remade team, the Kansas City Chiefs, won the AFL title in 66. Kansas City also won the AFL in 1967, which earned them the right to appear in the first AFL-NFL World Championship game, which was later called, what we call it by today, Super Bowl I. That was in 1967, where they lost to the Green Bay Packers, the NFL champions. Remember, they, even though in writing and in uh, you know promise that the two leagues had merged at that point, they really were playing as the AFL and the NFL. There was no AFC and NFC for another couple of years later. Now, the Chiefs again won the AFL championship in 1969 and went on to defeat the Minnesota Vikings in Super Bowl number four. Now, the franchise era that we will consider for this exercise is going to cover the years of winning that they did have. So we're going to go from 1962 Dallas Texans team Go for the whole transformation of the Dallas Texans and the move to Kansas City to become the Chiefs, and all the way up to the 1969 Kansas City Chiefs season where they won that Super Bowl. Now, besides owner Lamar Hunt, the one consistent person associated with the success of the teams was head coach Hank Stram. Now, Hank Stram was a very interesting individual. He was born in Chicago, Illinois in the 1920s, and he was an American football coach who's best known for that great 15-year tenure with the Texans Chiefs franchise of the AFL. He played college football at Purdue University and was a two-way player. After graduating from Purdue, Stram served the United States Army during World War II. After the war, Stram began his coaching career as an assistant at Purdue, and then he served as an assistant at Notre Dame in Miami of Florida before being hired on as that head coach of the Dallas Texans in 1960, the inaugural year of the Texans and the AFL, which was that new fledgling league at the time. So he was connected with the team right from the get-go. Lamar Hunt targeted him, he got his man, and he got the right man for the job as well. Well, one of the things that, that uh, Hank Stram did 
was he needed to get a signal caller and eventually he got from the uh, 1957 Pittsburgh Steelers draft uh, where he served as a backup a quarterback by the name of Len Dawson. Now Dawson was born in Alliance, Ohio and ended up being a Pro Football Hall of Fame quarterback and he played college football at Purdue. So perhaps there was a connection there that Stram knew of Dawson because of that Purdue. And I'm sure it probably was. He still had the connection there. Uh, he became the top pick in 1957 NFL draft by the Steelers. He was a backup there. And then he went to Cleveland until in 1962, he found his way to the AFL's Dallas Texans roster. Probably no big mistake there uh, with the familiarity that Hank Stram had with him. And another person that was the perfect guy for the job to be that signal caller. Well, now you have that golden triangle, the triumvirate of the Chiefs' uh, great era of football in the 1960s. Lamar Hunt as the owner, Hank Stram as the coach, Len Dawson as the signal caller, and he ended up becoming uh, one of the great teams of those 1960 years. Len Dawson was one of the most prolific passers in NFL history as he was named to the AFL's most valuable player three times uh, with the Chiefs during that. So that, that triangle is very important because that is one of the uh, prerequisites that you see that uh, usually means you're going to have a pretty dominant team when you have a solidified quarterback, coach, and owner for that long period of time. It doesn't always happen that way. Uh, but that's a very good sign that maybe they're on a way to becoming a dynasty. And we'll find out about that more as we put the AFL Kansas City Chiefs Dallas Texans team to the test in our seven pillars that we mentioned earlier right after this. The memorable moments were many. Franco Harris's immaculate reception. Roger Staubach's Hail Mary. But the decade's greatest teams were defined by defense. Author Michael McCambridge. Joe Zagorski's podcast, Pro Football in the 1970s, pays homage to a time when defense ruled the gridiron. Soundtrack provided by Horst Hoffman of FilmMusic.io. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. This is Greg Tranter, co-author of the Buffalo Bills, an illustrated timeline of a storied team book. And you are listening to the Pigskin Dispatch podcast. Oh, those Kansas City Chiefs of the American Football League. We told you about those championships that they had. We told you about the ownership of Lamar Hunt and the stability of Hank Stram and Lynn Dawson as the head coach and the quarterback, respectively. But they also had some other outstanding players that uh, played in these teams that came to the Chiefs through the draft and through some other means. Uh, one of them was Buck Buchanan. He was a defensive end for the Chiefs from 1963 through the 1975 season. So there for the majority of this run that we're talking about, because we're talking 62 to 69. So he only missed one year of that that era that were under consideration. And he was one of the most dominant defensive players in National Football League and American Football League history. He was named the AFL's Defensive Player of the Year twice in that uh, seven-year span that he played in the AFL. 
another great player was a linebacker, Bobby Bell of the Chiefs. He uh, played there from 1963 to 1974. So again, another key component that only missed the, that first year with the Dallas Texans winning a championship. And he was one of the most versatile players in NFL history. He was named as the AFL's Defensive Player of the Year once. So out of that seven years, we have two of the AFL's Defensive Player of the Year in the same defensive scheme and uh, they were there for a long time and and those two gentlemen we also had another man that was on the defensive side that was outstanding born august 21st 1945 in clover virginia willie lanier a linebacker from morgan state university from 63 to 66 was born lanier earned first team all-america honors after his junior season and under the instruction of training hall of fame coach earl banks Willie was a member of some great Morgan State squads and went to bowl games in 65 and 66, winning both and holding opponents to zero total yards on offense in that 1965 game. And Lanier was a big part of that. Yeah, I said zero yardage in that ball game. That same year, Lanier led a stubborn defense that held opponents to 129 yards rushing all season long and a total of 732 yards of total offense against them. That's pretty stout if I'd say so. And that linebacker was a key part of that. In 1966, as an offensive guard, he used his strength to open up holes for the offense, which rushed for 2,220 yards in eight games for the footballfoundation.org. Great two-way player, still holds a school record for tackles in a game with 26. Now, Willie Renier was into the College Football Hall of Fame for his outstanding play soon after that. And after college... Uh, the man they called the Honey Bear played pro football for the Kansas City Chiefs, where he was a five-time All-Pro middle linebacker. Years later, in 1986, Willie was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, that is an outstanding player there as well. But they also put points on the board. You know, they had Len Dawson throwing touchdowns, of course, and leading a great offense. But how about the kicker? Jan Stenerud was his name. He was a kicker from the Chiefs from 1967 to 1985, and that's a pretty long time, and he was one of the most accurate kickers in National Football League history. He was named to the Pro Bowl 15 times. So he sort of caught the tail end of that you know, great uh, Chiefs team that we're talking about here. Same with Lanier, but they were members of it. Even though they were two or three years in, they were still members of it, still contributed, and you know they had a, a Super Bowl run there in that time too. Now, we got to get to the numbers. We've talked about the players. We've talked about the ownership. We've talked about the coach. Let's get into our numbers and compare them to our pillars of, of what we have here. In 1962, the Dallas Texans went 11-3. and They were 5-7, and a losing season in 1963. 64, they were 500, 7-7. In the AFL in 65, the Chiefs were 7-5. and Then they exploded, went 11-2 in 1966. 9 and 5 and 67, 12 and 2 and 68, and in 1969 they were 11 and 3. So, very good uh, you know, production there, except for that 1963 season, which we'll get back to in just a moment here. So, let's go through our seven pillars and figure out what they did. Well, the franchise was not a winning and contending team for at least six consecutive seasons in their respective league. 1963, uh, the Chiefs were that sub-500 season of uh, where they were 5-7. and seven. So that sort of broke up that sixth season. So 
there's a check mark against them. They don't make it on the first pillar. Second pillar, did the franchise win three championships in equivalence of the AFL title during that span? Well, yes, there may have been a loss that we know as Super Bowl one, but the AFL was technically separate league from the NFL that season, and they won the AFL. So they also won it all in 1962 as the Texans, and in 1969 when they won Super Bowl four. So there's three titles in that eight-year span. If we're going to give them credit for that, they hit that pillar. The, ne- the team did not make the grade on winning percentage. They were really close. Uh, the Texans Chiefs held a winning percentage of 657. So they just missed out on that 660 winning percentage that uh, we had gone by our experts and said that's what they need to do over the span of years that are, if we are being considered for now, there was also some contenders in the 1960s AFL during that same span that have valid contention for being the top AFL team of the 1960s. So you can't say that the Chiefs were the most dominant team of the AFL. You had some great Buffalo Bills teams there in the middle. They won two championships in a row. How about the Houston Oilers? They won early and they had some success in the middle as well. And how about the Oakland Raiders near the end of the AFL? They were a pretty strong team and were in contention. So you have uh, you know, the San Diego Chargers were up there. So there's a lot of teams that were vying for that AFL title. And uh, the Chiefs weren't the only one. So probably we cannot consider them to be the most dominant team with no other teams better than them in the league criteria for that eight-year span. So they don't make the grade on that one. The franchise in that eight-year span reached a dominance level score of 500. It did not hit the required threshold of 620 or better, so they failed another mark. But they did, with the Dallas and KC teams of the year, did go above average in point differential per seven points. They reached 9.47 point differential per game average, scoring more than their opponents. That's almost you know 10 points per game. That's pretty good. And they did rank in the 20 top 20% of the league that they played in over that span. They were always right up there in contention. Uh, but you know, weren't always winning at all or weren't going to championship game, but they were in that top 20% of the league. So if we look at those seven pillars, well, they fell short on four of the seven. So that cuts them a little short of being called a dynasty. But we also said that there are some other considerations we'll make. The final result of the 1960s era Kansas City Chiefs teams, they had some very good teams and people on staff, but do not meet that criteria to be called the football dynasty. But that golden triangle we talked about, the consistency of having Lamar Hunt as the owner, Hank Stram as a coach, Len Dawson as a quarterback, might be able to make up for one of those deficiencies of missing the pillar and probably the winning percentage that they just missed by percentage points. But there's still three glaring holes preventing us from saying that they are a football dynasty based on the criteria that came up. So the verdict, the 1960s Kansas City Chiefs are not a dynasty, but they are under the class of a darn good team filled with legendary people, plays, games, and stories that we can all appreciate and we still talk about today some 50 or 60 years later. Now, there may be an era for the Kansas City franchise that does make the grade. And we'll look at them in a future episode, as well as many more teams in this series. 
and we're going to have some great guests coming on to help us do it. We'd love to have your input as well. Pigskindispatch at gmail.com. And uh, like to thank the profootballreference.com for some great information that they help provide to us. And uh, we have some great images on from Wikimedia Commons as well. And until next time, everybody, have a great gridiron day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.